And welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. Pastor Josh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Sean. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Well, here we are at the end of 2020. Are you, uh, like most <laughs> other people, thinking, you know what? Maybe getting out of 2020 is just okay. We'll, yeah. We'll forget it ever happened. I don't think we should forget it happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably but true. But it has been a blur. It has. And uh, it's hard to believe that, yeah, we're at the end. You. You don't really think about it because with all Christmas and everything, but it pretty much is the end of the season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's to better things next year. Yeah. But we did some cool things this year. We've all had to adapt to changes in our lives. Certainly our church has done a lot of adapting. Here we are sitting behind microphones. That didn't happen Mm -hmm. before 2020. So there's a lot of good that came out of it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've developed a lot of things that were neglected, I suppose, or just that we could do more or better. Yeah. Yeah, you think about how we our hand was kind of forced into mm. different different technologies getting the word out to just our congregation and as a result we have a larger congregation because there's people that listen to us all over the world yeah and that's it's, right. that's cool mm-hmm. we love that, that. Neat. that's mm-hmm. really fun hey today we're going to be getting into mark again and we're we're actually going to play for our listeners the service that was from Oh, mid-December. So it's not a Christmas message, so to speak, but it's our first jump into Mark 8. Right. So Mark 8 uh, begins with actually what sounds to be a very familiar story. Um, Jesus feeds a multitude of people, a big crowd. And if you've been with us in Mark, you'll know that Jesus already did something like that back in chapter 6. That's right. So it's kind of a very interesting passage to come to. You kind of wonder, what's the point? Why would Mark include this twice? Mm -hmm. And... um, so yeah, it kind of gets your brain turning a little bit on that. So we're going to explore the how it's similar and how it's different and kind of see what the significance was in all that. Yeah, if I remember right, you had the congregation kind of jumping back and forth between the two stories, comparing, contrasting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wanted them to see for themselves um, what are some of those similarities and differences. Yeah, that's great. This last week at Church Josh, we had um, a father-daughter duet which was really fun to listen to. We had Bill and Elena. Mm-hmm. They came up and sang, oh, what was it again? Oh, Holy Night. Oh, Holy Night. And it was fantastic. It was. Um, her first time, but you can tell she's been practicing. Yeah. Um, and some people, you know, they struggle musically, either keeping beat time or maybe it's just the pitch and tone, yep. but she, she had it all down. Oh, she did she so really good. Did. <laughs> it was, um, how old is she? Is she seven? I think so. Yeah. I think so. The best part for me, I mean, obviously other than her singing, was mm-hmm. when when the congregation saw her walk up to the front, everyone mm-hmm. went straight to the front edge of their seats because they're just, they were so excited to mm-hmm. hear little Elena mm-hmm. singing. We just, no one could contain themselves. Yeah. It was really <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, it was, it really was. And it was very worshipful because um, you could enjoy instead of just listening to her, you could, because she sang very clearly, you could yeah. hear the words and it's such a well-written song that yeah. um, 
Yeah, I'm so glad they did that for us. Yeah, even Bill, you could see, you know, Elena's dad was sitting mm. there admiring her as she sang. Mm-hmm. He, I talked to him afterwards. He said, I didn't know if I was going to be able to sing the second verse. Because they at one point, they <laughs> they sing alone, and mm-hmm. then they sing together. And he said, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. He yeah. thought, I might I might break down here. So right, right. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you'll never see that on my side of the family. Okay, as far as father daughter singing, I, I bet Eliora, I bet she can sing, but yeah. uh, it'll be a mother daughter thing. Yeah, well, your wife, her mother, yeah. is a fantastic singer. The podcast listeners have heard Esther <laughs> yes. on the podcast a lot. Yes, she's, she's very like good. too much. She says it's it's too much. I can't take it anymore. But she doesn't like listening to herself, like most people. So that's how it goes. Well, she can just turn it off then. Yeah, she can. <laughs> because all of us, all everyone else enjoys it, and I think it's great. Right, right. Yeah. So our listeners today are gonna we're gonna play for you first. We're gonna play Bill and Elena singing "Oh Holy Night" together, and then we'll jump right into the message from there. That'll be good. You know, um, just thinking on the passage and the fact that it's our, our Christmas week for our listeners here. Mm-hmm. Um, the passage really circles around. Uh, bread. Bread's kind of a theme. Um, Jesus, of course, is the the bread of life. That more or less is the me- the message there uh, behind what he's doing. And um, in a way, it it does relate to his coming to us, his birth. He was born in Bethlehem in Sunday school. We kind of talked about that a little bit. And mm-hmm. Bethlehem means house of bread. Um, he's our provision. He's our our the one that we need to sustain us. So maybe it is fitting for Christmas to think about the fact that Jesus came to give us life-giving bread. That's great. That's great. Do you want to lead us in a prayer before we start the message, Josh? Yeah, I would. Thank you. Uh, Lord, we come to you as those in need. Um, If we are honest, we we need you each and every day. And uh, so we come asking um, to do what only you can in fulfilling and uh, bringing to us true life, true peace, and true joy. These are the things we all look for in this season, Lord. And and truth be told, we can get happiness out of a lot of the decor and uh, festivities. Um, but then once it's gone, um, we can be leaving, just left feeling dry and empty. And we don't want that. We don't want that anyone listening today. And so we pray that each one would um, have a listening ear to hear Jesus call to them to follow him and find true and lasting life um, for all year long. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Okay, we're going to do that special music, and then we'll get into the message. A new 
taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name. Fall on your knees or oh, hear the angel voices or oh, night divine oh night when Christ was born oh night oh holy night oh night house today, but it's good to see each and every one of you. If you have your Bible, would you open to Mark chapter 8? That's where we're at today, Mark chapter 8. As you do so, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come, as the song says, we come so as to adore uh, the one who has captured our hearts, our Savior. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can enjoy him today in the word. Help us to see. That's my prayer today. Help us to see what we need to see about him, about ourselves, about the reality, the true things, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Mark chapter 8. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read together. Beginning with verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with the bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. 
And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? You can be seated. Have you ever said to yourself, How in the world did I not understand that? You're looking back, you see the truth plain as day, and yet at the time, it was staring you in the face, and you just didn't get it. It baffles us, our own inability to see things, to understand things, doesn't it? Never happened to you? Maybe it was the truth about uh, a relationship, right? Someone you thought cared about you actually you know, was more or less using you. And whether it was their manipulation or this or that, you just couldn't see things clearly. You couldn't see the truth of it. It's clouded. Or maybe it was the truth about an evil that you couldn't see. I mean, this is why we have so many stories, for example, about those who once worked in abortion clinics saying, you know, I just didn't see that what was happening was murder, right? That it was, it was killing. And it baffles us, but they didn't see it at the time. And actually, the blindness that they experience is really not strange to us either. It's true of all of us. We fail to see it around us. We fail to see it in us. It's why we so often hear in Scripture the prayer, Lord, please, I want you to open, open my eyes. I need to see. Right? Or as Paul worded it in Ephesians, Lord, he said, that I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. Remember that? Pray that your, your eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So, now if you think about it, every true disciple of Jesus has been enlightened. Right? Past tense. Your eyes have been opened. Right? You're seeing things different. For, for people, for example, you see differently, right? They're not uh, out to get you. They're not all downright evil. And now you see them 
that they also are victims of sin. They are blinded by it. Right? You're able to see that the true cause of their behavior has to do with the fact that they're sufferers of sin also. So things have changed. You're seeing things differently. But every true disciple is also being enlightened. Present tense. It's, it's ongoing. Right? Which is why Paul prayed that prayer for those who had already believed. So being sanctified, being, becoming more like God is the Holy Spirit continuously bringing to light and making visible even the subtlest things that displease the Lord. Things we tend to harbor, tuck away, even protect. So having faith in Jesus doesn't always mean instantaneous discernment. And the disciples are a case in point, aren't they? Because they have already shown, they've already exemplified tremendous faith, right? When they got out of their boats, dropped their nets, and left and followed Jesus back in chapter 1. And yet here we find them now in chapter 8, at least a year or more into walking with Jesus, and they still are not seeing him, the one whom they have followed, clearly. It almost appears as though they've backtracked. But here's the fascinating thing about this portion of Scripture we're looking at. Okay? I want you to note this, that it began last week. Remember the portion we looked at last week with a man who was deaf and mute? Um, Jesus healing him, opening his ears, right? And it was in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 35, right? That the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Okay, that's how this portion of Scripture begins. And it ends, if you looked a little ahead, you can look at this later in verse 22, with a blind man getting his sight, right? So it, it's capped, and that's also in fulfillment of Isaiah 35. So it's capped with Jesus opening the ears of a deaf man and opening the eyes of a blind man. And what do you have in the middle? Listen to this. You have Jesus turning his disciples and asking this question. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Coincidence? No. There's something very significant here about the need to understand, right? The need to see and to hear as you're meant to. God gave us eyes and ears more than just so that we don't, we don't walk off a cliff or we hear the, cor- the, the car honking the horn, right? In fact, at this very moment for the next, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes, consider this. You're going to use your eyes and your ears, right? But is it just for seeing the book? Is it just for audibly hearing the words that I'm saying? Or will you get it? Will it lead to understanding? As far as I see it, you and I are in the same predicament as the disciples are. Same danger lurks with us. Okay, if there was no danger, then there would be no warning. But Jesus gave a warning here. But I want you to see this. Before he does so, notice that it comes after first having seen and heard 
Jesus at work. Right? So you see, the passage begins with a miracle. And maybe while you're reading, you're thinking, you know, this sounds awfully familiar. Almost like we've already been here, haven't we? Was this a typo? I mean, did Mark record the same miracle twice? It's so similar, we wonder, is it even necessary? I mean, we got it the first time, right? Wasn't that the point, that Jesus can feed a lot of people? But I want you to notice that the passage here in chapter 8 doesn't end with just the miracle. It ends with a discussion of the miracle. And that's a clue to the fact that there's something else going on here. Something was being missed. What was it? Well, look at this, okay? Now, have you ever done an activity, maybe you've done this with your kids, where you have um, two pictures that look remarkably similar, right? And yet, when you look a little closer, you'll see some minute differences. It's a good brain exercise. It makes you a really good observer. That's what you need to do with this passage, okay? Because you're meant to see similarity. You're also meant to see some differences. But just flip back for a minute to chapter 6, right? That's the first feeding of the 5,000. It starts in verse 30. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to give you a minute. Just go ahead and look at it. Look at verse 30 and onward. It goes on to about 44 or so. Just take a minute and read it for yourself. So what do you notice? I'm going to invite you. What's the same here? What do you see is similar in both passages? Don't be shy. Large crowd. What was the other thing you said? A meal time. Yeah. There's some hungry people. What else? Yeah. In both instances... Jesus acts out of compassion. Good. Solitary place. Yeah. Right. They're both in a very desolate place, it says. What's that? He met their needs. Yeah. Both times. Well, it showed the irony of Christ's compassion of the disciples' frustration with the people following him when they wanted to rest. Yeah, right, right. Similar response from the disciples, huh? It's good. Anything else? Also shows how fast we can doubt. How fast we can doubt. Yeah. Happened in my own life. Right. That's right. Too easy to forget. They were leftovers both times. Good, good. Man, you're going to keep looking. You're going to get a good list going. The, listen, the similarities that you're seeing are purposeful. You're meant to see that they're the same. You're meant to note, for example, Jesus' compassion both times. You're meant to note that Jesus asked the same question to his disciples. How many loaves do you have? Okay. You're meant to see that Jesus gives thanks both times. The disciples distribute the food both times. Both times all eat and are satisfied. Both times leftovers are picked out. But there's some differences also, right? Some are a little obvious and some are not. For example, in the first one, the disciples are the ones who bring the need to Jesus. Say, hey, we got a problem here. This time, Jesus is the one who brings the need up to them. And you probably noticed the numbers, right? So 
Before it was 5,000. Really, it was 5,000 plus. It was just the men. Here it's 4,000 total. And, uh, and the loaves, right? Here there are how many loaves? Chapter 8? Seven. Seven. And some fish. That's all it tells us. Just some fish. Before it was five loaves and two fish. And one thing you wouldn't notice right away, you'd have to really study it, is that the word for fish is different. Now, you'd have to look at the original language, but it's, in this passage, it's more like what you'd think of like a sardine, like a tin can fish. Okay? You'd also see that the word for basket is different here. In fact, what's used here is more like the size of your hamper at home. You could fit a grown man into the basket that's talked about here in chapter 8. You remember when Paul was let down in a basket over the walls of Damascus? That's the same basket that's used here. It's a big. Okay. So, you're meant to see that there's some differences here. Like, they have different fish, of course, and they have a different kind of basket. And that all points to the fact of the most obvious thing, which is this. This is a different crowd. Right? You say, well, how so? Well, remember, Jesus is in the region of the Decapolis, and that meant who lived in this region? Who lived in the Decapolis? Two choices, Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles, good, okay. And notice what Jesus says about them in verse 3. He said, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Okay, the Decapolis was a very rugged territory. And some of them have come from, look at this now, far away. That's often a description used of Gentiles. They're the ones who are far off, the ones who are distant. All these are indicators that the crowd here is mainly Gentile. And knowing that makes the similarities all that more significant, right? Because the same compassion that Jesus has for his own people, he has for all people. The same compassion, or I'm sorry, the same abundance that existed for the Jews also exists for the Gentiles, or I could put it, for us. We're Gentiles. For you and us. For you and I, right? R. Kent Hughes put it this way. He said, with Jesus, the supply what he has, always meets and exceeds the demand. Always meets and exceeds the demand. And look at the numbers here, right? There's something to this. So when Jesus fed the 5,000, how many basketfuls were left over? He had 12. 12 being Israel's number, right? The 12 tribes, okay? In other words, there's a fullness for Israel. But now there are how many basketfuls left over? Seven. Seven in Scripture being the number of completeness, of wholeness. So you could say this, Jesus is the provision for the whole world. Sufficient for all. So Jesus has been going through Gentile areas. This is the climax. This is the dramatic end to this tour, right? Um, Among Gentile people who, by the way, have shown remarkable faith, as opposed to the Jews even, to who Jesus is. Right? It began with a Syrophoenician woman, right? Who outwitted the Lord and wrestled with Him for the blessing and she received it. Or that small group from last week that brought their deaf and mute friend when they heard Jesus was there. And now you have this crowd who has come from far away. They've been with Jesus how long? For three days, right? 
Three days they have been, look at this, with me. Whenever you hear that expression in Mark, that someone's with Jesus, it's a mark of discipleship. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be with Jesus. They've shown remarkable responsiveness to Him. And what is Jesus doing here? Well, you see it. He's revealing who He is, right? Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Jesus puts this very plainly in John. He says, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6, 33. Did the disciples get it, though? They have, think about it, they have seen Jesus feed the Jews. Now they have seen Jesus feed the Gentiles. But are they seeing what that means? Okay. I would tell you most did not. Most did not. And the ones who were truly blind are about to show up. Okay. Verse 11. Jesus leaves this district and he goes to a place called Dalmanutha. It's another name for the city of Magdala. Okay. In other words, he's back in Jewish territory. And he probably is there for some time. The text moves rather quickly. Um, but there has to have been some passage of time because the Pharisees hear where he is at. And so in verse 11, they come and they move in. Okay? And uh, with a clear agenda in mind. So look at the verbs here, right, in verse 11. The Pharisees came. They came out as if in military rank and began to argue, that is, dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Okay? This was not an earnest desire to discover whether or not Jesus was genuine. That's not why they're asking for a sign. Okay? Listen, folks, they have already seen Jesus work countless times. The word for test here was really the word to make him stumble. That's the kind of test it was. The same word used when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. In other words, we want to discredit him. We want to gain control of him. And we see Jesus, at this point, utterly exasperated. Jesus gets exasperated. Because he, what does he do? He, he sighed deeply in his spirit. That's a, that's a rare word. It's a very emotional word. It's used of people who were pushed, listen, to their absolute limits. Okay, so think of uh, Moses and God, for that matter, with the children of Israel in the wilderness, right? Pushed to their limits. And sometimes we wonder, how is it that people who saw Jesus all, do all the things he did and yet ask for more as if you needed proof? Listen, it's not because they needed a reason to believe in him. It's because they didn't believe in him. Because they refused to believe in him. And so when Jesus asks, why does this generation seek a sign? He's really identifying them with the wicked generations of the past. The generation of Noah's day that was judged in the flood. The generation of the Exodus. Who, by the way, what did they see? They did see the signs in heaven. They saw a pillar of fire. They saw a cloud at 
during the day. They saw the sea split open. They saw a mountain on fire smoking. And yet, that generation, as Psalm 95 teaches, came testing and trying God. Because they didn't believe. You see, the point of the miracles, at least in Mark's gospel, as he's putting it, it's not for proof. It's not to give reason to who Jesus is. Their point is, their purpose is that in seeing them, in understanding, in discerning, it leads to trust and belief. And so Jesus says, Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He's done. English lacks the force. It's an oath, as Jesus says. If a sign be given to this generation, and that's actually where the word's cut off, but the implied ending is, then may I die. And with that, Jesus leaves them, and he heads across the lake, right? We think, oh, that's done. However, Jesus does not leave all his troubles on the shore. You follow him into the boat. Don't be surprised when you walk into church thinking that you have left all the obstinate and difficult people at work. Okay? I've got some news. They're in the pews, too. Some hardness. Some insensitivity. Rudeness. Distance. Closed off. All that. It's very amusing. I was thinking about this, and I'm sure this is very relatable to you. Have you ever been in the car driving and your kids are in the back? Or you're driving your kids in a, or a group? And uh, it's almost like they think that because you're driving, you're in some kind of hypnosis, right? And you have no idea what's happening in the back. You have no idea what they're talking about, right? Like the youth pastor. Listen, he hears the conversation in the back. It's not lost to him. How is it that sometimes we think Jesus is aloof from all that we say and we do until uh, we decide to pray to him or we walk into church? He's not unaware. Okay, and by the way, we also see what you post on Facebook. We're friends, you know. <laughs> we do the same thing. We don't think that Jesus overhears our private conversations, our flippant remarks that we post here or there. And listen, Jesus overheard a lot of what his disciples were saying too. Okay? Sometimes they were trying to be very secretive to him. They didn't want him to know what they were talking about. Other times, though, they were just being very open. They were simply saying what was on their mind, and it revealed where their heart was really at. And that's exactly what happened here in verse 14, right? Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Right? Oh, boy. The disciples are in a dilemma, right? They forgot to bring enough food for lunch. So they're off now. They're on the way, right? And one of them asked to say, hey, man, what's for lunch? And now they roll out the sack and they open it and there's one loaf of bread, right? See it in your head. Twelve guys looking at one loaf of bread. Come on. Whose responsibility was it today, right? And right then, at that moment, they're all looking at this one loaf of bread and Jesus pipes up in verse 15, he says this, He cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees 
and the leaven of Herod. You see, Jesus sees what's happening and he gives them a warning. It's a serious warning, wouldn't you think? He's saying, you're liable to the same infection that plagues my opponents. Remember back in chapter 3, the Pharisees and the Herodians joined hands. They hated each other. But they said, hey, even though we hate each other, let's get together and murder Jesus. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Then we can go back to hating each other. Watch out. The mention of leaven ought to have been alarming to them. And it should be alarming to us. Just think about leaven, yeast, okay, for a minute. Because when you're making bread, you know that you only need, it just takes the slightest amount, right, of yeast for the whole batch. That's all you need. A little yeast, Paul wrote later, right, leavens the whole thing. And yeast in Scripture is almost always a picture of sin, a picture of evil. Only one time is it put in a positive light when Jesus tells a parable. Every other time, it always describes the way sin works into our lives. So you may think nothing of a cross attitude or a little giving in to something impure, right? Or having a closed-off heart when you come to church one Sunday morning, right? A little apathy, a little insensitivity, a little lack of love. Hey, what's the big deal, right? We think of these things as being inconsequential, right? Just as you might think, hey, what's the big deal about squabbling over one loaf of bread, right? Who cares at the end of the day? Well, it is a big deal. When the guy in the front of the boat has just fed 5,000 plus with five loaves. And 4,000 with seven. What's 13? Watch out, Jesus says. The point is, it starts little. A little ingratitude. A little discontentment. A little pleasure to self. All of which is from a little unbelief. Which leads to another fallout before you realize it. Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. In other words, it went right over their head. Jesus addresses the heart, and they're stuck on the fact that they have no bread. Sound familiar? Jesus is giving us warning about our hearts, but we're too busy discussing our gripes about mandates and lockdowns and dinner parties getting canceled to hear it. They just carry on as if Jesus just interrupted the dilemma. They're beginning to get agitated with each other. The warning goes right over their heads, which is so often the case with you and I. Maybe we need to hear Jesus say, I'm your vaccine. I'm your cure. I'm your caretaker. I'm your friend. Why are you discussing the fact that you don't have these things? I'm your daily bread. So stop looking at the one loaf in your life and look that the bread maker is sitting next to you. Actually, you have something better than that. He's in you. 
They didn't realize that what they were doing was revealing the unbelief in their own heart. They became so familiar with Jesus, they stopped seeing him as the all-sufficient bread of life. So he has to jolt them back to true reality. And we need these questions as much as they did, right? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Notice how Jesus activates their understanding through remembrance. Do you not remember? See, what he wanted them to do was remember how full, how abundant his provision had been, right? There were 12 baskets left over the first time and seven big ones just a short while ago. How they had forgotten. Now, let me ask you something. What do you need to remember? What crisis did Jesus get you through? Last week or a year or years ago. Maybe you need to go back and look at that record you kept. If you don't have it, maybe you need to start keeping one so you can go back. And remember. Because if it happened to them, who was there and they saw it and they heard it, don't you think it could happen to us? So I'm going to ask you then, are you now seeing so as to understand? Can I ask as Jesus did, do you not yet understand? What that means is, if you, if, you, if you get it, you're going to act on what you've heard. Truth needs to be acted upon. So you're going to remember what Jesus has done in your life and in quietness and in trust. I think the psalm puts it that way, right? You're going to allow your confidence to be in Him. You're going to wait on Him. You're going to realize that He is all-sufficient, not for some problems, but for every problem including the one, listen, that will greet you when you go back home today or when you start work tomorrow. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church Podcast. We hope that you have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast and tuning in this year. We'll be bringing more to you in 2021. Merry Christmas.